making introductions, but I, this one kind of brings mixed emotions. Uh, you know, it's always a pleasure to introduce my friend Barry Hughes, the man who stepped in to be our interim executive pastor almost a year ago. But this time, you, this particular time, you're being introduced to him, what could be his final appearance with us. And uh, Barry, Stacy, and family are moving on, but in a kind of an exciting way. Actually, I doubt that I, I could have come up with a better exit plan. God's timing is perfect. I hope you all stick around at the end of the service this morning uh, after we have a little commissioning exercise to thank Barry and Stacy and for their expert help this past year. There's going to be some cake and coffee out in the cafe. Make sure you sign those, those thank you notes. Um, I can't tell you how Barry has helped the elders Uh, During this time, in the past has been just what we needed. We asked Barry to bring the message on his last Sunday here. And um, Barry, come and share God's word with us and uh, tell us how all this came about. All right. Thank you, Gary. Gary, you crack me up every time uh, you said that this might be my last appearance. Maybe somebody's going to knock me off in the parking lot on the way out. <laughs> to see you guys here at Stapleton Fellowship Church. And uh, yes, it, today is kind of bittersweet for me because it is my last Sunday here. And, uh, and possibly my last appearance ever. And uh, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> so um, that video that you just saw there was, our, was kind of our new church video. It's on our website. Uh, and uh, I have been with you for these past 11 months. And uh, I'm, I'm leaving this Sunday to, uh, to help plant a Northeast Fellowship in Lock Bowie, Colorado. And so I want to tell you just a little bit about that and give you just a little brief message. And uh, we're, we're booking along here, all right? So um, let me just give you a little bit of the story behind that. This past fall, uh, and many of you know that I hang my real estate license at a, at a place called Colorado Listings. And um, if you didn't, you know now, and uh, coloradolistings.com. And, uh, <laughs> and so, I, I, and, I, and I'm somewhat of a tent maker. I, I'm in ministry, but I also have an income outside of that. And so um, one day I got a call from our managing broker, and he said, hey, there's a, there's a newer guy with us who hung his license here, and his name's David Stitt, and his wife's name's Sharon, and you, you, need, you probably need to have coffee with him. I was like, oh, okay. He's probably buying a $8 million house or something. And uh, no, that wasn't the case. And, and, uh, and then I think David heard the same thing. There's a guy named Barry here, and you probably need to have coffee with him. And so we got together, and we had coffee. And um, I don't know if you've ever had one of those situations where you meet somebody for the very first time, and within five minutes, or maybe it's 15 minutes, you just know that you're kind of kindred spirits, and you just know that okay, this is a friend for life, this is a person like me, you know, and on the flip side of that, you've probably met with someone for five or ten minutes and gone, these are not my people. Right, um, and so yeah, I, I had coffee with David and Sharon, and um, just I knew immediately. And David, I've probably never told you that, but I just I knew immediately. And I went home and I said, Stacy, I had 
I had coffee with those people, and I'm telling you, I don't know. There's just something there. And so um, David shared with me how he lives in Lock Bowie, which, by the way, is a, it's a community in the northeast of our greater Denver metroplex. It's just east of Denver. It's along I-76. It is pronounced Lock Bowie. It's kind of strange. The person who uh, incorporated it as a city named it after his grandparents' home in Scotland. All right. So, uh, so I just talking with David, he said, you know, we have been praying for a church to come to Lotbui for a long time, and it, it hasn't happened. And just have, David said he felt like the Lord was saying to him, it's you. Plant the church. And so, uh, you know, just after some more talking, and, and Stacy and I began to pray and all of that, and, and, and David and Sharon coming to us and going, would you co-plant and co-pastor the church uh, together? with us um, and, and some more prayers through the holiday and meeting at our office Christmas party with uh, Colorado listings and uh, we got to the point where we said you know what the Lord is separately speaking to Stacy and I to say yes we'll do it and so that is that is what has brought us to this point today and uh, then eventually I, I, I let the elders here know a few weeks back, and, and uh, they said, that's fantastic. It would be good to get you out of here. Just kidding. Um, and, and they said, we'd love to be your sending church right on our website. And that means prayer, Bible, and Jesus. And that's our first thing. And then there's some other values and things like that, but that's what we're going to be all about. Uh, our mission is to gather, to grow and to give and to go, those five things. And we're going to be breaking those down. And uh, we're really excited about what the Lord is doing. We now have a core group of 20 adults. Uh, that's how many people were in these two sections when this service started this morning. And, uh, and those were reached by some small advertising and door knocking in that community. And they're rock solid on the journey with us together uh, we'll be meeting with them again tonight, but again, we invite you to uh, journey with us uh, together on that. If you have your Bibles this morning, or your mobile device, or whatever you've got there, if you would open up to First John chapter two, I just, you know, what do you say to the church that uh, you're you're not going to be at next week? And uh, I just want to share with you a little bit of what I've been journeying through on in my own prayer and devotional time. Um, together. So today we are in First John. And uh, just a little background, if you're taking notes in your bulletin this morning, in the book of First John, uh, we have just some incredible things going on. John is writing here, and he writes about, for us, the real Christ. Because there were some rumors going around about you know, who Christ may be or may not be. So he writes about the real Christ. And then he writes for us about real Christianity, not the fake stuff that was beginning to spread in those times, but real Christianity. And then thirdly, he writes to us about the real Christian uh, in this book. And uh, this takes place, by the way, in about 85, 90 A.D. And so uh, we know from that time period in history, Jerusalem would have been in ruins Rome was destroyed in 70 A.D., so just a, a lot of change has happened uh, from the, the time of Christ. 
Christianity, we also know from history, has spread by this point throughout Asia, Africa, and Europe. And so it's, it's spreading, and there's churches popping up everywhere, and they're in people's homes, local churches. And uh, one of the things that's happening is that these churches would be filled now with people uh, like you and I, but they are the second and third generation believers. They're second and third generation Christians. And, and during this time of the, this new generation of Christians that is coming along and they're meeting in local churches, Satan, our enemy, is working really hard to undermine this new generation, to undermine their faith and Christianity in general. A lot of people were popping up with false teaching. There was kind of this blend of Greek philosophy with Christian thought blended together and being taught by false teachers, which are also mentioned in the book of 1 John and later called smaller antichrists in the book of 1 John. And these people were beginning to teach this false Christianity, this Gnosticism, if you will, if you want to get technical about it. And that's what was happening. And when John begins to talk about Jesus, as we're going to read here in just a moment, when he begins to talk and he begins to write to us in this book, we've got to remember something. He was speaking as an eyewitness. So all this other thought and belief system was starting to pop up. But when John begins to speak to us, he's speaking as an eyewitness of Jesus. Somebody who was there. Somebody who saw him. Somebody who, and John is an older man now in writing this. and Somebody who heard Jesus speak and, and walked with him. So with the authority of an apostle, John brings us 1 John. And we'll, we'll read in chapter 2 in just a moment. But he writes it, like I said, as an older man with the heart of a pastor. The heart of a pastor. Because he cares so much for this. Times John writes like this. He says, these things I'm writing to you because... And then he gives a reason. He gives several reasons. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I'm writing this to you so that your joy will be increased. You second and third generation, your joy needs to be increased. And he writes that. Later on in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I'm writing this to you to protect you from sinning. In chapter 2, he says, I'm writing this to you because I want to help protect you and warn you about false teachers. I love how John keeps saying these things. And, and then later on in chapter 5, he says, I'm writing these things to you to assure you that we have eternal life. And I, I love how John just puts that together for us. Look, if you will now, at John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse number 12. It says, and we'll have this on the screen for you. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now look with me at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, or the lust of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, this world system is enticing, isn't it? It's enticing for us. There are things that will draw us away from the things of the Lord and from the will of the Lord. Things that will draw us away from God's love. You know, us breaking our connection with God. There are things that will draw us away from prayer and Bible study and encouragement from other believers. There are lots of things that can entice us in this world. And John is saying, I'm writing to you like a family. Please don't love the world. Don't bite into the bait of this world. How many of you are fishermen or fisherwomen? Raise your hand. Jimmy got his hand up real high. Amen, brothers and sisters. Yeah, and you know when you fish, you put that line in the water with the hook on it, right? And uh, when, that, when that fish bites, what do you got to do? You got to set that hook a little bit. And, and it's the same way with when you, when you take a bite into the world, into the worldly things, that, that hook will be set. I grew up uh, in, in Kansas, pretty much, and we go back now and we visit my mom and dad uh, who live in a small town, and there's a, there's a lake there that was built by the Army Corps of Engineers a long, long time ago, and it's, it's full of catfish. And uh, we fish them at night. It's, it's the time you fish catfish. You, you catch some perch during the day, and you put them on the hook at night. And you put them dudes in there, and, and uh, sometimes they even go to bed. I'll tie up my pole with a bunch of rope to the dock, and I'll go to bed and go out there in the morning, and no kidding you, we'll, we'll pull catfish out of there. That we'll, we'll hold them right here with the gills, and their tails will be about touching our shoes. Just big fish who have taken a little bait and got, got that hook set. And, and John writes and he says, you know, don't, don't love the world like that. It's in Titus chapter 2.11 that says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to us all, to all people. It goes on to say, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. No to the things of this world. I'm going to say something that might be unpopular with some. But it's my last Sunday. In the church today... There is so much influence of the world. Does that make sense to you? How guilty we can be of this. It's so easy to fall into this trap. And you might say, wait, wait, wait. God is made in this world is for us to enjoy. Yes, but you've got to understand that things like that were written in the context of our joy coming from the Lord. And the presupposition that we are right with God first and that joy comes from him and through him so let me ask you this morning what is worldly in your life not necessarily sinful but what is worldly it's not building you up it's tearing you down and listen it might be small and tiny and piece by piece and brick by brick tearing you down what is worldly in your life Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father 
is not in him. That, there's a danger there. John writes to us and says, says people, there's danger there. Jesus says in Scripture, no one can serve two masters. It's not 80-20, is it? It's not 50-50. It's 100% or nothing. Every day we make a choice which master we're going to serve. Every single day. Now, John here in 1 John, in verse number 16 and 17, he doesn't give us a list of 20 things that are worldly, does he? We don't see that in the Scripture. We just He starts talking about the world and the, the lust or desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Instead, he deals, instead of a list, he deals with a deeper issue. He deals with the core of our hearts this morning. He deals with our appetites and our desires and where we are drawn in our life. It's deeper than some list. Much deeper. Oh, it would be so easy, wouldn't it, church, if there was just a list? There's not. It's so much deeper than that. He looks at the heart. Look at verse number 16 in your Bibles. It says, "...in all that is in this world..." The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. Man, there's danger 1, 2, and 3 right there in those verses. And if you're taking notes this morning, jot those down. That first one deals with our bodies. It deals with our bodies. The second one deals with our mind and our intellect. The final one deals with what pleases our ego and what puffs up our pride in this life. And you notice what's missing from this passage here? Satan. The devil made me do these things. Right? You ever heard that? No, we don't don't see any mention of him here. Because in the realm of sin, and I think you'd agree with me on this, we do a pretty good job on our own. Right? We do a pretty good job on our own, people. Number one, if you're taking notes, he mentions the desires of the lust of the flesh. He says, stay away from them. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Stay away from those things, the desires of the flesh. And you know, oftentimes the desires of our flesh, there's natural things, but the problem is our sin nature seeks to fulfill those natural things in a very sinful way. There's nothing wrong with eating, is there? There's nothing wrong with drinking. I didn't say alcohol, just drinking water. There's nothing wrong. Okay, church, I'm going to say it. There's nothing wrong with sex in the confines of a marriage relationship. But the problem is when our sinful desire seeks to fulfill any of those things, and we can list some other things in a very sinful nature. Eating can become gluttony. You know, drinking can become addiction, right? And I didn't say alcohol. Okay, drinking. I work with some guys that they're not addicted to alcohol. They're addicted to drinking something else. It's going to be good. But, you know, that can turn into laziness. Sex can turn into fornication. Because the affections of this world, the desires of the lust of the eyes, in verse 16 as well, the appearance of this world, and our eyes are often the gateway to sin. To sin. Not just poor. Covetous. Look at, look at uh, her husband. You know, look at that. Doesn't he or she look good? And all of a sudden, our eyes are drawing us away from the things of God. It's natural, isn't it? To want more? 
you know? To not be content, as the Apostle Paul writes to us, be content with what you have. And our eyes are that gateway. We've got to be careful of the appearances of this world. And then thirdly, for taking notes, be careful of the, the, the pride of life or the arrogances of this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Having pride in ourselves, having pride in our things, the desire to outrank and the desire to outshine others. And you know where, you know where this is big? This is big in communities like mine and yours. Would you, would you agree with me that we have a lot? That we have a lot of stuff? Man, and, and if you're not there yet on that belief, just you need to sign up for one of the mission trips. Jimmy's going to be here all day today. You need to go on a missions trip and see what the Lord is doing in His work outside of the boundaries of the United States of America. And, and have your eyes open to how much we have. You might come home a little sick. Not Montezuma's Revenge, but I mean, you might come home a little sick from what all we have. I mean, after church, there's like a three-mile radius. I can have any type of burger in the world. One with an egg on it, one with bacon. You know, all these different things. We have so much. We can have this pride in ourselves and what we have and who we outrank and how we outshine. Listen, church, you want to study something interesting later this week? Uh, and maybe just jot this down. Go to Genesis chapter 3 and read about these three things that I just mentioned and how they ripped off and robbed Adam and Eve. Okay, Genesis 3. Go to um, Joshua chapter 6 and read about a man by the name of Achan in the Old Testament. And, and these three things got him and he fell into sin. And then what happened with Achan after that? Go to Matthew chapter 4 and read about the temptations of, of these three things that came to Jesus Christ. But Jesus answered them with Scripture. He answered these temptations with the Word of God. Look again at verse number 16 there. What a, man, what a great verse for all of us. Verse 16 tells us, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is of the world. Verse 17, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's a great promise right there. How do you get victory over worldliness? I'm not talking about sin necessarily this morning, but worldliness. How do you have an eternal perspective on these things? You know? How do we not hold on to these things too tightly? You seek to do the will of God. Right there in verse 17. Whoever does the will of God Loving what God loves, hating what God hates. Oh, God doesn't hate nothing. Oh, yeah, this book says a little differently. Loving what God loves, hating what God hates. And as we do that, the priorities of our life line up with God's, His priorities. What is the will of God? Before I share one thought, on the will of God, I want to tell you a story and come back to it. How's that? I want to tell you a story about Mel and Kim. And we have our first photo up here I want you to see. And uh, my wife actually sent me this. Thank you, babe. I didn't tell you I was going to do this, did I? Little uh, kids. And, uh, he, you know, just all through his body, he was in the hospital 18 different times 
over the course of three years and um, just really put their family through a difficult, difficult time. But believers in Jesus Christ, faithful people in their church, and then uh, let's put that last picture up there. That little arm there on the right, that's his son's. He's just kind of grabbing Mel there right as they put him on life support. And uh, he passed around 7 a.m. the next morning, February 2017. And uh, went home to be with the Lord. It's just a, just a very tough situation, you know. You hate to see that, especially in very young families and young families like we have around here. And... Uh, Kim writes something to share with all churches. And I, and I just want to share that with you. If you permit me to read you something kind of long, I'm going to ask that you not fall asleep. All right? And this is from Kim's heart. And by the way, um, this is not a criticism of Stapleton Fellowship Church. It's a warning for us all. Okay? And I say that because she mentions a coffee bar, and you guys have a coffee bar. I'd love to have a coffee bar. Um, so just... Please, I'm not doing this because I'm at SFC this morning. It's a warning for us all, okay? And Kim writes this, When church leaders sit around and discuss how they can reach people, I don't think they have the widow in mind. I don't think they have the cancer patient in mind, and I don't think they have the children who are growing up without a parent in mind. I'm not paying attention to the church decor when I walk through the doors. I don't want to smell fresh brewed coffee in the lobby. I don't want to see a trendy pastor on the platform. I don't care about the graphics or the props on the platform. I am hurting in a way that is almost indescribable. My days are spent working full-time, and my evenings are spent homeschooling and taking care of two young children. I don't have shared duties with a spouse anymore because everything is on my plate. And when I go to church, I desperately want to hear the Word of God. Because there are days that I'm running on empty, and a coffee bar in the lobby isn't going to fill me up. There are days when the pain is so brutal that a concert light setting is not providing healing. There are days when the tears won't stop and the pain is never going to end and the couch or the props on the platform are not providing the answers. The lighting, the coffee bars, the relevant message, the graphics, and all those other things are secondary and serve no assistance to me during the darkest hour of my life. She even writes in here, this is in no way a criticism of church that have nice things and coffee bars and catchy titles. And she goes on to say this, however, in everything that is done, we need to make sure that Jesus is at the center. It's also a reminder that there are hurting people sitting in our congregation. There are people whose marriages are crumbling, whose people whose finances are deteriorating, and people whose children are rebelling, and people like me whose husband has passed away after a brutal fight with cancer. And these people are not impressed with stage lighting. They could care less about the coffee flavor. They don't need to be pumped or hyped. They need and are desperate for Jesus. And they may actually be turned off by all they consider gimmicks to get people to go to church. And she goes on and she shares some more of her heart about what she went through and her experience at church and feeling a little forgotten and all of those things. And I just want to encourage you on my way out, SFC, 
to keep it about Jesus. To remember that this is Stapleton Fellowship Church. It happens to meet in a hangar, not the other way around. This is God's house, and you are His church. And when people come in as guests, they're guests. You don't apologize. You continue doing church. Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, comes up and he approaches Jesus. And in verse 35, it says that he approached Jesus to test him, to trick 22, verse 36. This lawyer says, teacher, what is, <clears throat> what is the greatest commandment of the law? Verse 37, Jesus responds and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus goes on and says, The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang or depend all the law and prophets. Loving God, that vertical relationship, that if you were to take time and read all of 1 John later, you see so much of that. That our, our vertical relationship must be right with God first. Loving others, that happens second. After this vertical relationship is right with God, this horizontal relationship with others is right. As I was reading over the last couple of weeks, uh, just in and around First John, I ran into this good quote. And it just simply said, Living clean and in the clear as a Christian, keeps our relationships clean and in the clear. I like that. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father God, thank you for, uh, again, on your day, on this Lord's Day, bringing us together. And uh, God, thank you for each and every person I've had the honor to just rub elbows and shoulders with over these past 11 months. And, uh, Lord, I, I know that uh, they are in good hands moving forward, and I pray for them. And you know my heart on that. And uh, church this morning, just with heads bowed and eyes closed, uh, if you're here this morning, you'd say, you know what, uh, Barry, I, I, I want to love the things of God. And uh, as you were talking about worldliness, some, some things kept popping into my mind and hitting me in the heart, and uh, that's... The Holy Spirit of God, by the way, convicting us. And you'd say, Barry, I was, I was thinking of some things, some worldly things that I probably just need to drop, you know, like a hot rock and get away from. And they're, they're kind of tearing me down little by little, brick by brick over time. And I'm not even realizing, realizing it maybe. But they're, they're keeping me away from the things of God. They're keeping me away from prayer. They're keeping me away from Bible study and fellowship with other believers and I, I, don't, I don't want to focus on those anymore. I, I want to love the things of God. And you're here this morning and you'd say, Barry, would you pray for me this week as I battle those areas? Would you pray for me that I would love the things of God and not the things of the world? If that's your heart and desire this morning, uh, just with heads bowed, eyes closed, would you just slip your hand up and say, Barry, would you pray for me this week? Just pray for me, yeah. Hands in every single section. It's okay. Just raise, raise your hand up high. I promise to pray for you this week. You will be on my heart and in my mind as I go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you for those hands. Okay, put those down.
Uh, many of you are here this morning, and um, you know, your regular attenders here, maybe your members at Staple and Fellowship Church. I just want to say and, and pray for you. God bless them, help them as they move forward, as uh, they take these next steps, and as they journey uh, with you, Lord. God, help us uh, in our hearts to uh, be right with you first, and our relationships with others would follow. And then, God, uh, as you bring people into this place and give us an opportunity to minister in such a unique area where there's so much need and then there's so, much, uh, there's so many people that have so much and have been blessed and have been given so much, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Give us wisdom as we uh, seek to reach out, as we seek to minister and uh, continue to be a message of hope in this world and in this... Up to the front here, um, that... Um... We're not going to have the luxury, probably for a while, of, of having a full-time lead pastor and an executive pastor. You're, you would have to, if you're called here, you would have to assume some administrative duties. And I kind of dreaded the day when I maybe had to tell Barry that, well, our, our finances are such that uh, we can't in, anymore. Well, as I mentioned, the Lord took care of that by giving Barry and Dave a, a vision for a, a ministry in an area north of us where there is no church. It's kind of hard to think about a community in Colorado uh, that doesn't have a church. But population in the front range is expanding so quickly that it's outpaced the, the church development. And these gentlemen have recognized that. And uh, up near Brighton um, have purposed felt led to start a new one. I'd like to share with you a passage of scripture about a church in the first century who felt a similar calling and also commissioned two people to go out. It's kind of an interesting passage, I think appropriate to today, because for one thing, it shows a little different strategy for church planting and mission work than we often see. And to that degree, it's encouraging because it's showing us a model for what Barry and David are up to. The text is from Acts chapter 13, first three verses. The setting is Antioch, a province in Syria. It was a very strong church, as evidenced by some of their past giving that had gone on and by the names of the leaders and the gifts mentioned in this particular passage. It's when we start the second half of the book of Acts that the emphasis shifts away from Peter, who had a ministry mostly to Jews, to Paul, who worked mostly in the Gentile realm. Here in this text, he's still called by his Hebrew name, Saul. And it says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Well, I think the naming of those five individuals does several things. First, it indicates that the church was blessed with gifted people who were serving there, and no doubt there were others who could carry on when two of them left to go out. And note that that call to missionary service, church planning, 
planting did not just come to Barnabas and Saul, but to the whole church. And that's why I think it's good that these two men have included us, the church, the church body, in their call. It could be that what our two men are doing and what we see in Acts chapter 13 challenges a little bit the way we normally look at missions. Consider these observations. First, current mission practice is often to send out young, inexperienced people. When my wife and I were called into missionary service and went to missionary training, we were by far the oldest people in the class. Most of the class were uh, college, Bible college graduates, and some of them didn't make it through. The mission board felt they, they lacked a little maturity. Barnabas and Saul were experienced people. Now, I'm not suggesting that only old people should start churches, but maturity does help. We're sending out today experienced, mature Christians. It's my understanding that Dave has quite a bit of missionary background behind him. Notice, secondly, that the church at Antioch sent out a team of two. Remember, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. That's the model we see throughout the book of Acts. We're sending out a team of two. We probably see that the church is a very large church by this time. They've been in business for six years or so. They were the ones that sent an offering to Jerusalem during a famine. They've experienced a lot of growth. Yet on this particular occasion, they only sent out two missionaries. I'm not so sure that the problem is sending out enough missionaries as it is making sure we send out people who... I mean, look at the impact that Saul and Barnabas had on the world. And then finally, current missionary policy seems to be consumed by the raising of support. And that's biblically necessary. We know that. But you didn't, did you notice there wasn't one mention of financial support raising in the verses we read in Acts? Now, certainly, missionaries and church planters need to be supported. And we know Antioch was a generous church. But we also know that Saul, for example, was a tent maker, as are these two gentlemen. I mean, how many missionary letters uh, do you read that in some way kind of tactfully request funding? And that's fine. But Barry and his crew have not asked us for financial assistance. Now, just because we're not supporting them financially at this time doesn't mean we can't help in a lot of other ways. And I remember I had a discussion with Pastor Matt Wolf about this, and he indicated there might be a lot of other ways that we can help partner with them. As a matter of fact, we've already entered into some discussion with Barry about sharing some of our resources. So, Barry and Dave, if you would come to the forward right here in front of the stage... We'd like to do what they did in Antioch. We'd like to set you apart for this work. We'd like to have our elders and staff come forward at this time and lay hands on you and offer a prayer that God would bless your work. I'm going to join you down here. We'd like for all of you to stand and pray with us while we're praying and laying hands on these gentlemen. And then uh, Mike, Elder Mike Crowell will lead us in a prayer. Following that, Bill will close out the service for us. Father God, we want to thank you for the service that Barry has given to, to our church. We want to thank you for the 
his family that has supported him while he's been here these many months. Father, today as we send Barry and his family, David and his family, out to Lock Bowie, we ask that you would bless their efforts. We ask that you would guide them in, in what you would have them to do. We ask that you would bless Northeast Fellowship Church, bring the people to that church and the resources that, that they need to, to build that church and give these two men the wisdom that they need to, to do the things that you have called them to do. And, Father, as they go out, we ask that you, you give a blessing on, on all of them so that they may bring the good news of Jesus Christ to Lock Bowie and then to all of the earth. It is in Jesus' name we ask for these things. Amen. Amen.